trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, one of the great things about this job is every week, my friend Eric Peters from epautos.com stops by to drop off a reality supplement exclusively for my listeners. Eric, great to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks, Brian. I'm going to channel my best WC Fields and say, you're too kind, sir, too kind. (laughs) Well, for for a change, we actually have some good news to talk about. And I mean, we try to find the bright side, but um, let's, let's talk a little bit about how the truth is finally beginning to come out about uh, you know some of the official things that were denied and suppressed over the last couple of years. Talk to me about uh, your uh, your reaction to uh, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky uh, coming clean on a couple of things. Well, it seems like all four wheels are coming off the wagon, aren't they? Uh, she just admitted publicly that 75%, that's 75% in italics, of all the deaths that have been attributed to the Rona were of people who were already very sick, who had comorbidities, you know, who were people who were probably going to die because they were on the way to dying of some other thing, uh, like heart disease, respiratory disease, diabetes, uh, you name it. So the typical Rona fatality was somebody like Colin Powell, who was probably going to die of one thing or another anyhow, the point being, it's implicit in this, is that the, the threat of this, as you and I have been talking about for almost two years now, has been grotesquely exaggerated when you can say that 75% of the people who died were people who were very ill, who had significant medical problems, which means that very few people uh, were people who were perfectly healthy and didn't have any problems, had much to worry about this from the get-go. And even if you take the totality, the entire number, we're still, we're still talking about, what is, it, what is it, something like a 99.8-something percent recovery rate from this thing uh, across the board. So it just highlights uh, the, the, the panic-mongering, the grotesque exaggeration, and more importantly, the way they lied about all this and are now retracting the, their, their lies one after the other. This announcement by Walensky follows the admission a week or so ago uh, that the masks that they were touting as the the cure-all for everything, were mostly theater, and on and on it goes. And yet uh, the masks are still very much, you know, insisted on. I had to take my uh, octogenarian mother to, to the doctor yesterday, and mm-hmm. um, I, I reluctantly put on my own mask before going in, but uh, you can guess what happened. The, the yeah. nurse behind the desk looked at it and said, nope, you got to put on one of these, and handed me one of the, uh, you know, blue and white uh, face diapers. I. You know, I put it on for the sake of being there for my mom, but, uh, you know, this I, I'm protesting with every every cell in my body every time I have to do that. Well, as you should, as we all ought to. Uh, you know, it's absurd, but the problem is that we have a significant portion of the population that has been put into a state of fear-induced induced rabid anxiety over this, and their line of security blanket now is the chin speedo or the face diaper, as we style it. It doesn't have any purpose other than the psychological purpose of making these people feel better. And that's alarmingly dangerous because you can no longer deal with facts. Uh, and these people who are responsible for that are people like Walensky, people like Fauci, 
who never came before the public in time before this before this this pathologization occurred and told people look yeah there's something going around and yeah if you have an elderly relative if you're obese if you're diabetic if you're immunocompromised you know this is something you should take seriously uh, but by and large, otherwise, it's not that big a deal, so people should calm down. They didn't do that. Instead, they amped up the fear, and that's why we're in this horrible state that we're in right now with, with so many people terrified of essentially a boogeyman under the bed. You know, I saw a report out of Salt Lake City earlier today, and, and this, is, this is from one of the big news stations, which has been notorious for their fear-mongering over COVID. And, and now they're hand-wringing over, well, the lines are too long at the COVID testing centers, and the government's had to adjust, you know, the, the wait times and so forth. And it's like, you guys don't even understand. You're feeding the problem by encouraging people who may or may not even be sick to go get tested as if, you know, if it's so bad you don't even know if you're sick. Come on. Come on. Sure. Sure. And it's gotten it's it's become theater of the absurd, hasn't it? What do we have now? The Floronicon, the Omicron, the Delta Cron. I mean, it sounds like a bad video game from the eighties almost. <laughs> and this testing regime is spiraling out of control. How long is it going to be before people line up to get tested every hour? Because you never know. You were okay an hour ago, but you might have gotten in contact with the, the Florona in the last forty five minutes. Better go get tested. Yeah, it's it's discouraging to see how many people have bought into it. And, and Eric, there's one other aspect that I can think of that masks serve, and you and I have touched on this before. Mm-hmm. And not only does it give people, you know, the, the security blanket of, look, I, I feel safe because I have my face covering on, but it's the most visible sign of compliance that a person can show, you know, to, to Absolutely. signal that I, I am compliant, I am a good person. And, and that's kind of scary in and of itself. Well, sure. It coerces compliance. It feeds into... Uh, the this business of forcing people to comply with the jab mandates. You know, that's something you and I have been talking about for almost two years now. We saw this coming, that if people would be willing to put on this mask, implicit in that is that that's a legitimate thing to do, that that's a necessary thing to do. And if that's necessary and you have an obligation to wear a mask, then doesn't it follow that you have an obligation to take the jab too? Wow. I mean, I... Look, I... I, I'm grateful that the truth is finally coming out. I feel I almost feel a little bit of, of sympathy for uh, for Rochelle Walensky because it's pretty clear she's the one who's going under the bus. But I noticed the official explanation so far has been, well, you know, if, if it appears there were discrepancies, we weren't wrong. It's just, you know, she's mm-hmm. not a great communicator. Well, who well is there's it? some CYA going on here, yeah. too. I think yeah. that as the narrative comes unglued, a lot of these people are beginning to worry that they might actually be held accountable for the statements that they made and for the omissions, the deliberate calculated, in my opinion, omissions they made with regard to pertinent facts about this whole thing. Uh, and they just want to avoid potentially being frog-marched into a court somewhere or sued into the poorhouse. Uh, so there's that. Um, the other thing that's going on today, as you and I talked about a little bit off the air, is this pending Supreme Court decision with regard uh, to Biden's use of OSHA to force people to take the jab. And uh, you know that could happen uh, as soon as any time now. So we'll have to wait and see what goes on with that. You know, one of the video clips which has recently come out of the memory hole, somehow it's it's been resurrected, mm-hmm. is Rochelle Walensky uh, confessing to CNN's Wolf Blitzer, the vaccine's no longer can control the spread of the virus. And with that mm-hmm. in mind, why would these mandates even be an issue? You know, I mean, why would, let alone before the Supreme Court, if, if they don't control the spread, then why make people get them? Of course. Well, and I think you can dive deeper into that and say, if, if it's not even a vaccine, as traditionally understood, which is in fact the case here, 
then how do you make the justification at all? You know, it's one thing if you can say, okay, this vaccine provides immunity in the case of, say, like a polio vaccine. You take the shot, and now you can't get polio. And remember when Biden said, all you have to do is take the vaccine, and you can't get or give COVID. Remember that? That was back in well, July. It's yes. Become, right. And, and now they've admitted that it's not a vaccine. What it is is a symptom suppressor. That's the best it is. It's a temporary symptom suppressor. That is, it's a palliative. Uh, it's something that makes you feel a little better, but it doesn't prevent you from getting the Rona. It certainly doesn't prevent you from giving the Rona. And that completely undercuts any argument that you can make that it's some kind of duty uh, on the part of every citizen to take this jab for the sake of protecting other people because it doesn't protect them and it puts them at risk. The other thing that's remarkable to me about all this is that literally almost every day, certainly every week, a story percolates, percolates up in the newsfeed about a healthy young athlete who has gotten uh, myocarditis or who's actually had a heart attack or some other thing that was just exceptionally rare in that cohort of people until all these jabs started coming out. And you'd think people would put two and two together, and I'm not saying that correlation is necessarily causation, but it certainly ought to give us pause and make us stop and think, well, hmm, this should be looked into before we go any farther, particularly as far as injecting kids with this thing. Well, yeah, if, if the people who have been pushing the vaccine didn't know it would lose long-term efficacy, how would they, you know, why would they push it then not knowing if it would cause adverse effects long-term as well? Well, that's, isn't that the core problem with this? Uh, you know, the orange man pushed all this stuff at warp speed. And the problem with that is that you can't know. We're in the dark here. Even if you assume the best of intentions, even if you assume that the pharmaceutical industries are doing this out of saintly concern for public health and not for the potentially billions of dollars in profits that they can reap, the bottom line is there is no way to know what's going to happen with a drug that got rammed onto the market without any kind of long-term testing. Traditionally, my understanding is that uh, before you could put a drug on the market, it had to have like five years of, of placebo and, uh, and other forms of testing to determine, okay, what's going to happen? Because there's no substitute for that. You have to wait and see. You have to let time go by before you can come to any kind of a, a reasonable conclusion about efficacy and danger with drugs, but these things were just jammed onto the market uh, in a, an extremely reckless manner, and now we're having all these awful consequences as a result. Okay, we're going to come back to this in just a few moments. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. There is a link in the show notes, which you will find at thebrianheidshow.com. Please stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back once again. Thanks for joining us. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. Eric, I was looking at one of your recent columns. It didn't just happen. And as I read that, I felt very vindicated because there's a lot of spin going on right now. As you mentioned in the last segment, uh, the CYA on the part of people who have been in positions of officialdom and authority, you know, they they are trying very hard to convince us, hey, hey, we weren't wrong. You know, this just somehow developed the way that it developed. Let's let's talk about why we should not be content with that excuse. Well, I don't, I don't think we should be content with that excuse because after all, these people put themselves in a position of power and authority over us. 
their decisions have consequences and that's a that's a big responsibility and you and i are held accountable for the decisions that we make and yet somehow these people who wield this power to exercise decision making power over others and to countermand their own decisions uh... are not held to account just think about the economic uh... despoilation that has been called that has been caused fomented by people like Fauci and Walensky. How many people do you know who have lost their businesses? I know several. Uh, you know, and that that's a big thing. You pour your life into something and it just the rug gets pulled out from under you without any kind of compensation and you're expected to just walk away with your hat in your hand and say, oops, sorry, you know, mistakes were made. Uh, meanwhile, a guy like Fauci collects something like, I think is $350,000 a year is what he'll get after he retires from government services. Boy, that's, that's not, not bad pay. Considering you know you have to sell your soul, not pay in order for destroying how many people's lives. <laughs> right, right, and and I think people should start to get angry about that. You know, we're constantly uh, told that for the sake of safety or some other thing, we have to accept limitations on our lives. So this transcends, goes far beyond this Rona business, and we're punished for harms we haven't caused. You and I, uh, we drive down the road and we roll through some speed trap somewhere. And we do 37 and a 25 deliberately underposted, and you know you get you get handed a piece of paper that says you have to hand over 150 bucks of your money for having harmed nobody. Uh, meanwhile, Fauci can harm millions and millions of people and retire on 350 thousand dollars a year of taxpayer extorted fund money. And that's to me that is one of the biggest injustices that I see shaping up in front of us right now, um, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Like I say, she is being thrown under the bus. She's the one being offered up as the sacrificial, you know, goat. Uh, but Fauci's going to skate on this, and that that mm-hmm. sickens me. As it should, you know, he's kind of the J. Edgar Hoover figure of our time. Uh, a lot of the younger people listening to the program probably won't remember old J. Edgar because he's been gone for nearly fifty years. But uh, he held absolute power and sway over the FBI for about that long a period of time, roughly about fifty years. And he seemed immune from any challenge, from any political figure, perhaps because he had dirt on them somehow through his great network. And it may be the case that Fauci knows where the bodies are buried. I don't know what accounts for the pull this guy has. So the one thing that does pop into my mind is that he's got the backing of these gigantic pharmaceutical cartels that are billion-dollar businesses. And those billion-dollar businesses pour a lot of money into politics, into the campaigns of people who are seeking political office. And you know that you better not cross Big Pharma if you want to run for political office. Just ask RFK what happened. If you want to be a public figure, don't cross Big Pharma because they will deploy all their resources and all their tremendous wealth to destroy you. I've noticed uh, trending on Twitter this morning, too. Uh, there is apparently uh, there is some military uh, document that shows that uh, it was, in fact, gain-of-function research. Contrary to uh, what uh, Dr. Fauci was saying under oath before uh, Senator Rand Paul and others when he was testifying before Congress. And that's, I mean, he insisted it wasn't gain of function. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, the military says, no, it was gain of function. And, you know, I, I'm curious if he's going to be able to weasel out of this one, given his connections, like you point out, it's possible mm-hmm. he will. But uh, there, there's black and white evidence that uh, he was not truthful with the American people. Yeah, I actually watched some testimony the other day. Marco Rubio uh, was was touching on this subject, and I think it's become pretty much incontrovertible that, indeed, they were doing gain-of-function 
Christian research at that lab, and, uh, and it was being funded uh, via hook and by crook through various organs of the U.S. government that were somehow connected with Fauci. And it's all very shady and very questionable, but uh, it, it surely seems that this is not something that just sort of spontaneously arose from a bat in a wet market in Wuhan, but rather from a lab, and that was allowed to get out. Uh, and then for reasons of having to try to cover that up or because they wanted to make money from it, I don't know what exactly is going on. None of us know exactly what, what was going on other than it's extremely shady and it's been used in a way to take away our liberties and to terrify, to pathologize the population, which is, you know, that, that's something that, if you go back into history, at the end of World War II, uh, they tried. One of the figures that was tried at, at Nuremberg was a guy named Julius Streicher. Now, Streicher was not uh, a member of the German military. He commanded no troops, and he himself killed nobody. But what he did do was to scare the crap out of the German people by publishing this magazine called Der Stormer, in which he portrayed the Jews as this, this health threat, a bacillus that was going to poison the people and that had to be dealt with. He was strung up for that. Wow. Yeah, I guess I guess we're going to find out if justice will prevail in our time as mm-hmm. well. I'm, I want to shift gears real quick. We've only got a couple minutes left, but you had a wonderful column called Two is One, and you make a yep. very clear distinction between wealth and money. Let's talk about why that matters at this point in time. Well, two is one is a, a prepper or military term, meaning that uh, it's always good to have uh, an extra on hand of some essential item. Um, so that's where that term comes from. And as far as the rest goes, uh, we have this really odd problem of our money being um, a not very reliable way to store our wealth. And a piece of paper doesn't necessarily have any value other than the willingness of people to accept it in return for something that is of value, like a tangible good. So given the way things are going with inflation getting to the point of being very, very alarming as far as how rapidly it's, it's occurring, uh, I wrote this article urging people to consider buying things that actually have value as a way to store value and a way to hedge against this, this despoilation of their paper money. Give me an example of, of some of the tangible things a person could, could turn their money into. Well, they're big things and they're small things. You know, land is always of value, especially if it's land that you can use to grow food on, for example. Your home has a, a massive value to you in that it's shelter for you and your family. On a smaller scale, tools, equipment, uh, things that you can use to help you get by are very important. I've lately been putting money into getting all my vehicles completely up to date in terms of all the service and all the parts that they need and getting additional backup spares um, so that in the future, when those parts either become difficult to find or they become exorbitantly expensive because of the diminution in the value of money, I'll already have them on hand. Yep. I I know it sounds apocalyptic to some to say, you know, you should be turning your money into tangible things, but when you consider how much of your money consists in the form of electrons in a computer or just a mm-hmm. notation on a ledger somewhere, in other words, it's not really in your hands, it's not tangible, that could vanish with the power going out, it could vanish with the stroke of an executive pen, as, you know, we saw under FDR. I mean, you you could... Yep. There are a lot of forces that, that could take it away from you if it's not actually in your hands, so... I, I, to me, what you're, the advice you're giving here is very, very sound, though to some people it may sound like you guys are both a couple of you know, nut jobs for even considering that it could happen. Well, 
But you know what? It's not speculative, is it? We're, how, how, what's the rate of inflation over the course of the past 12 months? I think it's something like at least 10%. Yeah. It's a very big number. So in other words, you've taken a 10% haircut. Whatever money you had in the bank is worth, it has 10% less buying power than it had a year ago. So in effect, you've got a 10% tax on your wealth uh, without you ever having actually had to dig in your pocket and pay it. But nonetheless, you've lost that, that much purchasing power of your money. And that doesn't show any signs of abating. So if you were to buy something that you're going to need at some point anyway, that's the point I wanted to make in the article. You know, we're all going to need things like tires and brake pads and, and whatnot. Uh, you buy them now, it's, you, know, you would have had to buy them anyway, but at least now you've got them for a price that may be considerably less than what it might be a year from now. I think that's super sound advice. Eric, thank you for joining me again. Always great to visit with you. Likewise, Brian. Look forward to the next time. Again, that's Eric Peters from epautos.com. There is a link in the show notes. Go spend some time on his website. Read the articles. Read the comments. You will come away better for the experience. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Whether you've been a short-term listener or a long-time listener, you've probably picked up on the fact that this program is made possible by great sponsors. I just want to give a very quick shout-out to acknowledge them and uh, let you know they are the ones who make it possible for me to do what I do. So if you find value in this program or the information that I bring you on a daily basis, let them know. Tell them thank you or do business with them. That would, that would actually be the best thing to do. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, HSLAmmo.com, Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, and also GovernYourIncome.com. So there's been a very interesting shift, and I, I know that this has been obvious to some people. People who've paid very close attention have noticed that, uh, hey, Weren't we saying this just, uh, you know, a short time ago, and now it appears people in officialdom are, are, well, they're running into the truth in ways that they can no longer brush it aside. And I don't think anything illustrates the depth of deception that we've been subjected to, like the way those in authority eventually come to embrace the very same truths that they were actually working to suppress for these past two years. Got a great article here from thefederalist.com. This is from Elle Reynolds. And she describes how the media and the CDC have just quietly admitted to three COVID truths after two years of lies. Did they think we wouldn't notice? Here's what she reports. She says the COVID bureaucracy has spent two years now preaching lies, censoring anyone who challenges the lies, and eventually coming around to admit the same truths they previously denounced. In the case of masks and vaccines, the flip-flop was even more elaborate. They insisted masks didn't work, back when masks were scarce, and that the vaccine was suspicious, at least under Trump, only to spin around and then tout both. And now that neither works effectively against the Omicron variant, the narrative is falling apart again. Now, over the weekend, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director, Rochelle Walensky, appeared on numerous news shows And she bluntly admitted some big truths that critics of COVID mania have been saying all along. Another admission of hers from August resurfaced on social media after months of the major media memory holding it. 
So L. Reynolds says it's about time COVID bureaucrats come clean. And Walensky's comments don't cover the half of it, but we're old enough to remember what the same group of bullies was saying not too long ago. So here's here are three COVID truths that now are being admitted to by the director of the CDC after nearly two years of telling us, no, 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 that's that's not the case. Truth number one, the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. Our vaccines are working exceptionally well, but what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. Walensky told CNN's Wolf Blitzer in August. That's a clip that made the rounds anew over the weekend. But that's not the narrative that we've been inundated with for the past year. USA Today ran a fact check with the headline, Vaccines Protect Against Contracting Spreading COVID-19 in November of 2021, quoting health experts who insisted that getting the jab makes people much less likely to be infected, therefore much less likely to spread the virus. Now, President Biden went even further, claiming in July, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. In October, he said, we're making sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you. Now, he continued to parrot the claim just last month, implying that vaccinated people couldn't spread COVID when he asked, how about making sure you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? So there's one truth that has finally come out. And, and with them admitting it, that's, <clears throat> this, is, this is the death knell for the official narrative. Or at least it's, it's one of many death knells that are currently sounding for it. Truth number two that has come out. COVID disproportionately affects the vulnerable. In a Good Morning America appearance, Walensky admitted that the overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comor- comorbidities. Do you realize that's what people have been saying all along? Their response efforts should focus on protecting vulnerable populations. In other words, not sending COVID-positive patients into nursing homes and maintaining normal activities for populations that are at low risk. In other words, not shutting down schools for semesters on end. But it was Walensky herself who confessed last February that the CDC's guidelines for reopening schools were influenced by the vehemently anti-in-person teaching, in-person learning teachers unions which Walensky admitted resulted in direct changes to the guidance. Emails uncovered in September further showed that the CDC had changed its school masking policy under pressure from the National Education Association, the the nation's largest teachers union. And it was the coalition of power-hungry lockdown advocates and fawning media who put disgraced former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on a pedestal despite his decision to force COVID-positive patients into nursing homes, causing thousands of unnecessary deaths among the most vulnerable. This coalition also worked with the CDC to push months of lockdowns, business closures, mask mandates, travel restrictions, and now vaccine mandates on Americans, despite the fact that the average healthy American is at low risk of dying from COVID. I don't know if you've had a chance to read through the Great Barrington Declaration but essentially what she just admitted here is the, the signers and the crafters of the Great Barrington Declaration were right. Focus on protecting the vulnerable. But let everybody else live their lives normally, seeing as the virus does not adversely affect the vast majority of people who actually catch it. 
Yes, it's very dangerous for some. There's no doubt about that. But for most people, like 99% of people, that vulnerability is not so great. And yet, uh, you know, there was such a concentrated smear campaign against the signers of the Great Barrington Declaration. Why these these fringe medical experts? No, they, they actually knew what they were talking about. And now the powers that be are coming around and recognizing this. Here's truth number three. Deaths from and with COVID aren't the same thing. I know the, the urgency. I told you so is so strong here, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Fox News' Brett Baer asked Walensky on Sunday, how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID and how many are with COVID? Those data will be forthcoming, Walensky promised, acknowledging the distinction that Baer pointed out. But a bureaucracy that was intent on maximizing COVID panic and death counts to undermine Trump and stir the popularity of tyrannical policies wasn't so keen on admitting this distinction in the past. So, for example, in Washington state, a May 2020 report found that the state's health department was overreporting COVID-19 cases by up to 13 percent by counting anyone who tests positive for COVID-19 and subsequently dies as a coronavirus death. A subsequent investigation found that Washington health officials appeared to be doing it again in December of the same year. In Colorado, gunshot victims were also counted among COVID death tallies if the victims had tested positive for COVID-19 within the past 30 days. What? Yeah. And local authorities in Florida counted a man who died in a motorcycle crash as a COVID victim in July of 2020. But that didn't stop media outlets and bureaucrats like Dr. Anthony Fauci from using inflated death tolls to stoke fear and panic as justification for more restrictions and mandates. What COVID factoid that anti-lockdowners had been insisting all along will Walensky and the CDC admit next? Well, L. Reynolds says, who knows? But it's safe to say there won't be any apologies or honest acknowledgments of error. Because we saw none of those things with masks or with the ineffectiveness of lockdowns, vaccines, the lab leak theory. By the way, there's now military documents that have surfaced. which again seemed to indicate that uh, Dr. Fauci, under oath, lied to Congress's face when he was questioned about the funding of that uh, gain-of-function research at the Wuhan laboratory. So instead of admitting to, well, uh, we made a mistake or we were wrong about this, you can expect them to use half-truths or flat-out lies to try convincing you that they've never been wrong, all evidence to the contrary. Classic gaslighting. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to stay up on this stuff. In fact, it takes enough effort that uh, sometimes I feel like I would drive myself to the point of insanity if I cataloged every single one of the times, you know, that uh, but they said this and now they're saying this. I'm grateful for people like Elle Reynolds and and her great article here, which will be posted on my website, thebrianhideshow.com in today's show notes. So I urge you to check it out for yourself. And just, I'm not telling you, don't believe anything anybody tells you unless it comes from these, these, these lips. No. I'm just saying be very skeptical when people who are claiming authority over your life magically always seem to have the answer that results in, well, more power over you and your life. 
that has more power in their hands over you and your life. Chances are very good. It's not your interest they're looking out for. It's their own interest and their own power. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Now, this message is actually of great importance to any of my listeners within the state of Utah, but particularly those who are looking to secure a VA loan or a traditional loan or a reverse mortgage, maybe even refinance your existing mortgage. You need to talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage because Heather brings decades of experience in the lending industry to the table. What this means in practical terms is she knows what she's doing. She understands clearly what you need. She understands very clearly what the lender needs, and she can make it happen quickly. And it's a very competitive real estate market. So you want to make things happen just as quickly as you possibly can. Otherwise, that dream home you just found is going to be snapped up before you're ready to do something about it. Go in there prepared. Go in prepared with the, with the knowledge that uh, this is the money we have in hand and buy with confidence. Contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage by calling 435-703-4522. They're also located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, which, by the way, is a wonderful place to be this time of year. Heather's NMLS ID 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You know, history offers a lot of valuable warnings to anyone who takes the time to learn from it. And I know it's easier to just sit back and flip on the TV and, you know, be entertained. But if you actually study history, you will find that uh, the othering of the unvaccinated that we're seeing right now actually has a lot of historical precedent. Maybe not specifically with vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but those precedents where there is a clear marginalizing of a certain subgroup of society for political reasons. It's almost every time there's been a very unhappy conclusion to that othering. Got a great article here from Jared McBrady. This is from the Brownstone Institute. Othering unvaccinated persons. Jared McBrady says, In my teaching, I prepare undergraduate students to become high school history teachers. In one course, teacher candidates prepare and deliver mock lessons. Now, their peers play the role of high school students, and I observe and give feedback following these practice lessons. Whether coincidence or a reflection of the times, this fall, a good number of mock lessons covered the rise of totalitarianism. In one excellent lesson, a teacher candidate had his students examine the context that gave rise to totalitarianism. He accompanied this lesson with an excerpt from a world history textbook listing characteristics of totalitarianism. Now, Jared McBrady says this lesson hit on the true purpose for including totalitarianism in high school curricula. And that purpose is not to honor the likes of Stalin or Hitler or Mussolini. Nor is that purpose uh, to provide the methods of totalitarianism as some kind of instructional manual to follow. Rather, the purpose of teaching on totalitarianism is to deliver a warning. Heed well the conditions that yielded totalitarianism so you can recognize and avoid them. He says, as I observed this teacher's candidate, this teacher candidate's lesson, 
I could not help but think about that purpose in the context of our present time. One passage from the lessons textbook concerned me the most. Totalitarian leaders often create enemies of the state to blame for things that go wrong. Now, frequently, these enemies are members of religious or ethnic groups. Often, these groups are easily identified and are subjected to campaigns of terror and violence. They may be forced to live in certain areas or subjected to rules that apply only to them. So, creating an enemy of the state requires othering. That is, a process of dehumanizing through marginalizing a group of humans as something different, less than, and other. Such othered groups become an easy target to scapegoat, unfairly bearing the blame for a society's ills. And history is replete with examples of othering. The ancient Greeks othered based on language, labeling those who did not speak Greek barbarians. In the United States, chattel slavery and segregation were sustained through othering based on skin color. In Nazi Germany, Hitler othered based on religion, casting Jewish people as enemies of the state. Othering frequently plays on people's fears and stereotypes. In the United States, for example, black men have been othered as thugs, playing on fears about violence and criminality. In another example, public health officials in Nazi-occupied Poland played on the primal human fear of disease. Propaganda posters proclaimed, Jews are lice, they cause typhus. And now some politicians are othering the unvaccinated. These politicians attempt to scapegoat and marginalize this minority group despite knowing that vaccinated and unvaccinated persons alike can contract and spread COVID-19. So in the article, he then provides the words of three politicians as examples of othering language. And he says, I also encourage you to read their words in context. In the United States, President Joe Biden's September 9th press conference announced sweeping vaccine mandates. He expressed that many of us are frustrated with unvaccinated persons. He laid blame on them for the continued pandemic. Biden claimed that this pandemic of the unvaccinated was caused by nearly 80 million Americans who have failed to get the shot. He faulted a distinct minority of Americans for keeping us from turning the corner. And he promised we cannot allow these actions to stand in the way of protecting the large majority of Americans who have done their part and want to get back to life as normal. In a September 17th interview on the Quebec talk show, oh boy, I don't know if I can say this right, La Semaine de Forjules, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau labeled those opposed to vaccination misogynists and racists. Then he exclaimed, Canada needed to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? By the way, there are links to each of these, each of these quotes, so you can actually see them in context and, and see for yourself what they were saying. In France, President Emmanuel Macron gave an interview with Le Parisien on January 4th. In his interview... He categorized the unvaccinated as non-citizens, referred to their lies and stupidity as the worst enemies of democracy, and proclaimed, I really want to piss the unvaccinated off. Macron, Macron argued these unvaccinated persons to be only a very small minority who are resisting, and asked a chilling question, how do we reduce that minority? Now, in these communications, Biden, Trudeau, and Macron employed several practices of othering, First of all, they created a majority in-group, signaled by use of the first-person plural, we, us, and a minority-othered group, signaled by use of the third-person plural, they, them. 
They cast blame for government pandemic policies on that othered group, keeping us from turning the corner. Number three, they used words to signal the in-group that they should be angry with the othered group. Many of us are frustrated, or I really want to piss them off. Number four, Trudeau and Macron specifically used labels that devalued this other group. Misogynists, racists, enemies, non-citizens. Number five, most worryingly, Macron and Trudeau questioned whether and how to eliminate this othered group. Do we tolerate these people and how do we reduce that minority? Now, Jared McBrady says, look, my hope is that this will all amount to nothing more than ignored political rhetoric. Empty bluster these politicians hope will score a few popularity points with their electoral base. But he says, my fear is that it will not. Either way, this dangerous othering language must be recognized and condemned. Historians study causality, context, conditions, events, and their outcomes. We've examined the conditions that yielded chattel slavery, the gulag, the Holocaust, Jim Crow, Rwanda. So this isn't an attempt to equate current pandemic policies with these past tragedies. He says this is a warning call. We've seen these conditions before. We've seen where they lead. And he says, turn back now. That way leads to darkness. I think that is one of the most reasonable Approaches and explanations that I have heard. And I applaud Jared McBrady for for writing this. I've got a link in the show notes at the com. And and again, it comes back to I it, it frustrates me when I see people othering, you know, the, the unvaccinated. I I have family members who, you know, are very invested in why won't people do this? Uh, one family member lives in a very urban setting. And uh, complains loudly about those stupid rubes who live in places like Utah and Idaho who haven't uh, gotten vaccinated yet. And and to her, it's a it's a function of we're just too dumb. We don't have sense to come in out of the rain. You know, if we had a brain, we'd be outside playing with it. You know, they she she just doesn't see that there might be reasons people would say. I'm not going to be forced into participating in a medical procedure that I don't choose to be a part of. But that othering is a very real thing, and it is something that you and I should take care that we don't engage in. I don't know. Maybe the irony is, am I I othering by pointing out there are people who are othering me? I hope not. Because I respect anybody's decision to choose for themselves if they want to get the vaccine or not. It seems to me those who are doing the othering don't respect that choice. This is The Brian Hyde Show.